If you have your Bible with you, it would be helpful uh, to have it open at Haggai chapter 2. And as I uh, just said, this is the um, second part of the story we started last week. We saw how the children of Judah had returned from their captivity in Babylon. King Cyrus had given permission for them to leave Babylon and to return to Jerusalem. And as we said last week, you might have thought that was the end of all their problems. They're free from Babylon and they're back in their homeland. But uh, sadly, it wasn't the end of all their problems. Um, Although they were back in the promised land, they still had to battle a sinful heart, uh, a heart which still had the temptation to turn away from God. And before too long, we saw that that's what happened with the children of Judah. Uh, they came to Jerusalem and they started rebuilding their own houses. Uh, they gave themselves plush carpets. They um, put loft extensions in. They Uh, got their plumbing sorted, and they made for themselves wonderful houses to live in. Unfortunately, the temple, the Lord's house, remained in ruins and in rubble, and the people didn't have the motivation to build God's house, though they had built their own. And God sends, in chapter 1, Haggai the prophet to the people uh, to rebuke them, And to say, how is it that you can live in your panelled houses and yet the Lord's house is still a pile of rubble? And thankfully, the people repent. Uh, They realise the error of their ways, how they had allowed God to drop down their list of priorities. Instead of him being in first place where he should be, he was in second, third, fourth or less place. And we saw last week how wonderfully, the moment they repented, uh, before they even picked up a chisel or a hammer to rebuild the temple, God comes to them and he says, I'm with you. I'll help you as you rebuild the temple. And we saw God's grace, uh, how even before we've lifted a finger, uh, if we truly come to him in humble repentance and faith, then we can receive God's forgiveness and his promise to be with us and to help us. Now, you might say, well, surely now it's a happy ending. Uh, surely now, um, Israel, people of Judah, they've repented. They're now rebuilding the temple. You can see in verse 15 of chapter 1, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius, they start to lay the foundations or they start to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And you think, well, that's the end of the book, surely. Um, Haggai has rebuked them. They've repented. They turn back to God. All is well. But I think we all know life isn't like that so often. Uh, the Christian life is a life of ups and down, ups and downs. And that's exactly what we see in chapter 2. Because uh, we find that God has to send Haggai again to the people in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month. That's almost a month, not quite, but almost a month after they started rebuilding. God sends Haggai with another message 
to the people. And this is what God says to Haggai. He says, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? What seems to have happened was this. Uh, The people of Judah had been diligently rebuilding the temple, and they had been at it for a month. But some of the older people of Judah, some of those who remembered what the temple had been like before they went to Babylon, uh, what Solomon's temple had been like in all its glory, in all its splendor, they remembered that temple and then they looked at what they were building and there was no comparison. They just looked at it and they were discouraged. They were disheartened and they said, what is this? in comparison to Solomon's temple. Uh, Look how the mighty has fallen. And apparently their discouragement rubbed off on the other people of Judah, the younger men and women. And uh, apparently work on the temple slowed. Um, Murmuring perhaps came in and people started to express their discontent with the Uh, lack of glory in this temple compared to the temple that had been before. There's a lesson in here for us. Um, This lesson for us is the temptation we can all have to some extent to live in the past. Uh, These older men and women of Judah saw the temple as it was now and they remembered how it was in the past. They said, oh, it doesn't compare. And they were discouraged as a result. And people can do the same thing today. Uh, People in the church, uh, perhaps there are people here this evening, and perhaps you can look back to days where you remember church services being full of people in the morning and in the evening. Uh, Perhaps you remember times where you would uh, meet with people of your own age, and you would all be zealous and enthusiastic about serving God. Uh, You'd perhaps um, look out on society and you'd see people going to the prayer meeting. You'd see uh, whole villages going to church. Uh, You'd see days of prayer being uh, announced. Uh, This nation um, acknowledging our need of God. And then you look at the society now. You look at the churches which are, if not empty, are certainly depleted from what they were 40, 50, 60 years ago. And it's very tempting to think, what is this in comparison to then? It's very tempting for all of us, old and even young, to look back on times which seemed better. Uh, Look at times when the grass was greener. They always say, don't they, the grass was green on the other side, but you can almost say the grass is always greener in the past when you look back and see what happened. But Haggai comes with a message from God. And gently, not harshly, he gently corrects their thinking about how they are discouraged about how time seems so different to how they are now. 
Did you notice uh, what he says to them in verse 3? Uh, sorry, in verse 4. He says, yet, now be strong, Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the governor of the people of Judah. And he says, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. And be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord. And work, for I am with you. God comes to the people of Judah in their discouragement, in their low spirits, in their disheartened state, as they're looking backwards at better times. And he says, be strong. Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all you people. Don't live in the past. Don't look back to days where there was a king on the throne of Judah and now there's just a governor. Uh, don't look back to the time when there was a high priest and all the priests in service in the temple with great glory and great honour. Uh, don't look back, people, at those times of the golden age of Solomon. Uh, keep your eyes fixed on now, because I am with you. I am the same God who was with Solomon. I am the same God who was with the people back then. I have not changed. I am the same God. Things have changed. Your circumstances have changed. The glory has diminished, at least from a physical point of view. But I am still with you. And that's the exhortation from Haggai chapter 2. We see the temptation to live in the past, but God gives them a task for the present. He says, don't live back then. Live now. You have a task to do. He says, be strong, all you people of the land, and work, for I am with you. And the book of Ecclesiastes says, in chapter 7, verse 10, do not say, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. It's all Ecclesiastes says. It doesn't say why it's unwise. He just says, It's not wise to live in the past. It's not wise to think of better days in the past because those days are gone. We can remember them, but we've got to live now. We've got to live in the present. And God says, I'm not dead. I'm the same God. Jesus says, I am the same yesterday and today and forever. Be strong. Live in the difficult times that you live in and live well. Um, Carl Truman, a a Christian historian, uh, wrote a book called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And in that book, he seeks to uh, explain or at least describe how society has changed over the last 100, even 50, perhaps even 30 years. And in that book, he writes this. Uh, He says, every age has had its darkness and dangers The task of the Christian is not to whine about the moment in which he or she lives, but to understand its problems and respond appropriately to them. That's wise, isn't it? It's so easy to whine and complain, isn't it? We think, oh, look how bad society is. What's happened? What's going wrong? And we can sort of wring our hands in distress at the situation because it's so different to what it was. But that doesn't do an awful lot of good. Our job is to work. 
is to respond appropriately to the situation we find ourselves in. In a nutshell, our task is to obey today. It doesn't matter how dark it is. It doesn't matter how difficult the climb is. Our task is to day by day faithfully follow Christ. Uh, this morning we were remembering uh, the life of our queen uh, a little bit, weren't we? And uh, I think she gives as good an example as any of someone who faithfully, day by day, did her duty. Uh, her duty to the country and the duty as she saw it given to her by God. But we all have our duties given to us by God. Uh, we're not, any of us, the monarch, the king or queen of this country. Uh, but all of us have our own tasks to complete. We're perhaps uh, a parent, a mother or father, a grandparent, uh, a husband or wife, a child looking after our parent. Uh, we have friends, we have responsibilities, we are in workplaces. And in whatever situation we find ourselves in, whether we're retired or working or married or single, whatever it might be, God gives us responsibilities. And our job isn't to look at others and compare to them and say, why can't we be more like them? But it's to look at ourselves and say, what does God want me to do now? Um, someone once put it like this. So this life is like a play on the stage. And we don't get to choose our part. Um, God gets to choose our part. Uh, we might want a more prominent part. We might want a longer part with more lines. We might want a shorter part with less lines. <laughs> uh, we might want all sorts of things, but that's not what is important. What's important is playing the part which God has given to each of us. Not bemoaning the past, not worrying about the future, but simply obeying in the present, loving our husband or our wife day in, day out. Uh, caring for and teaching our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Uh, loving our neighbours and our friends and our families. Caring for them where we need to. Uh, Honouring those in authority over us. Uh, diligently working for our bosses as though they are themselves were Jesus Christ himself. Uh, all these instructions Christ gives to us. And it's not always spectacular. It's not always very exciting. In fact, often it's not exciting. Often it's dull. Often it is just the everyday course of life. But that's what God calls us to. That's why he says to these people, be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all you people of the land, and work, for I am with you. He says, don't be afraid. Be strong. And I will help you accomplish the work I give to you. But that wasn't the only way that the people of Israel, or the people of Judah, were tempted to live in the past. I said that the Christian life is an up and down one. And even now, all their problems are not solved. Uh, keep reading in the book. And in verse 10, we read, on the 24th day of the ninth month, so this is two months later after that, after that message from Haggai, uh, God has another message for the people. Uh, look at verse 11. 
says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priest concerning the law, saying, If one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and with the edge he touches bread or stew, wine or oil, or any food, will it become holy? Then the priest answered and said, No. And Haggai said, If one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it be unclean? So the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. And you might say, well, what does that mean? <laughs> what is God saying to the people? But again, what seems to have happened was this. Uh, the people listened to Haggai's second rebuke, and they realized that it's not wise to live in the past and God is with them, and that is all that matters as they seek to build the temple. And so they continue building for another two months. But then they fall into another mistake. And they start to think that because they've built the temple, because they now have the temple near them, they're holy as a result. They think, oh, we've done it now. We've accomplished what God wants of us. Now we can sit back. Now we can relax. But they left other matters of obedience ignored. Uh, God says to them that you are unclean. Your, your hands are unclean. You're not listening to me in other areas of life. They were saying, well, the temple's holy, and we've rebuilt the temple, therefore we must be holy. But God says to the people through Haggai, uh, if you carry holy meat in your garment, if you carry it in a little bag and it's touching your skin, does that make you holy? Of course not. You can't catch holiness for some holy food, something which the priest has blessed. Uh, Just because you have something holy in your hands, just because you are worshipping in the temple which was holy to God, doesn't make you holy yourself if you are disobeying God in your hearts. Because God does not desire sacrifice first and foremost. What he desires is obedience and you see other people they again fall into the habit of living in the past they thought well we did that so now we're okay we've done that thing now God is pleased with us and can't we do the same how many Christians are there who say oh yeah well when I was 12 I asked Jesus to forgive me and I did that so now it's all okay my relationship with God's good Or they say, well, I went on that mission in the summer, so everything's good. Or I gave that money to that charity, and now God's pleased with me. And we can have this temptation of thinking that these things we did in the past somehow earn credit with God when God is looking at us now. He says, walk with me. You may have walked with me 10 years ago, but are you walking with me now? Are you obeying me now? Are you listening to me now? That's the test of our faith. Not what we did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. What are we doing today? Are we listening to him now? That's the second rebuke Haggai has to the people. Don't rely on a building. Don't rely on something you did in the past. Walk with me today, step by step, moment by moment. But then Haggai closes with a wonderful encouragement to the people. Uh, We've seen the temptation to live in the past. We've seen the task for the present 
to obey God. But Haggai also gives us a hope for the future. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. God says to them, I know you're discouraged by how much better things were in the past. I know right now it doesn't look impressive. I know right now it's difficult and hard and times look dark and dim. But be faithful. Listen to me. Work in the present because there is a future coming which is greater than anything you can imagine. This temple you're building, which looks so feeble, which looks so pathetic, which seems so inadequate... I'm going to glorify it far more than I ever glorified Solomon's temple. You might wonder, well, how did God do that? Uh, Was this temple they're building here in the book of Haggai, was it uh, covered with gold and diamonds and rubies? Well, no, it wasn't. It was glorified by King Herod in later years, but I don't believe that's what God is referring to. I think what God is referring to is that this is going to be the temple which he himself was going to honour with his physical presence. Because it's to this temple, beautified by Herod, but still this temple, which Jesus came to. Solomon's temple was destroyed, but this temple, rebuilt by the people of Judah, was going to be entered by God himself, by Jesus Christ. Because ultimately, the glory of the temple isn't the gold, isn't the silver. As God says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, verse 8. That's not what makes the temple glorious. The temple is glorious because who dwells within it? That's what makes the temple precious. And a few hundred years later, Jesus himself was going to step into that temple. Uh, he was going to chase out the money changer, the people selling and buying and selling the, the food, the offerings in the courts of the temple. And he was going to cleanse it. And by his presence, he would beautify it in a way that Solomon's temple never was. God says to the people, I'm going to honour this temple. It looks pathetic to you. It looks small. It looks feeble. But just wait. Just wait a little while. And I will glorify it in ways that you cannot imagine. Look at verse 21. Verse 21, God speaks again. And he says, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake heaven and earth. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. The horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shaltiel, says the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. God says, right now you're feeling oppressed. Right now you're surrounded by enemies, Gentile enemies. Uh, If you read the book of Ezra, you can see some of the trials and difficulties, and Nehemiah as well. You can see some of the difficulties they had to endure in the land of Judah. 
surrounded by enemies trying to destroy them and to uh, make them nothing. But God says, a little while, I'm going to bring judgment. One day, I'm going to make everything new. One day, all these enemies who hate you, who are trying to destroy you, I'm going to hold them to account. And he speaks to Zerubbabel, the governor, and he says, I will make you like a signet ring. You might think, well, what's the significance of Zerubbabel? Why is he mentioned so often in this book? Well, Zerubbabel was the direct descendant of David. He was David's son. And although he was not a king, he was the governor. He was the best they had at this time. And although David's throne had dwindled into this feeble representation at this time, God says, I remember my promises to David, and I will fulfill my promises to him. And he fulfilled them ultimately, of course, in Jesus Christ, who was Zerubbabel's great, 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 great grandson. God kept his promises to David. And that's why he says in the book of, um, I forget which book it was in now, one of the books of the Bible, God says, despise not the day of small things. Don't be disheartened when things look difficult now. God has a plan. God is working even when things seem feeble, even when things seem small. Take heart, be strong, be encouraged. And I hope that's an encouragement to each and every one of us. Uh, I'm sure if you're like me, you look out perhaps on this society and you think, uh, what's going to happen next? (laughs) We've had an interesting five, ten years, haven't we? Uh, Things haven't got better in the last week. And you think, what is going to happen next? We see our churches aren't as full as we would like. We see our efforts to share the gospel don't produce the fruit we would like. But be strong. Don't give up. God is still the same God who brought revivals in the past. And one day Christ will return and he will make all things new. All we need to do is remain faithful now. And if we endure, we will receive a crown of life which no one can take from us. Uh, So with those thoughts in mind, we're going to close by singing number 373. Uh, 373. And just to make absolutely clear, we're going to sing the version without the chorus. Just so everyone is clear. It's number 373. Revive thy work, O Lord, thy mighty arm make bare. Speak with the voice that wakes the dead and make thy people hear. So let's stand to sing in closing 373.